Welcome to this episode of The Rise After the Fall. I am with, as always, my beautiful bride and partner in the ministry, Pastor Sonny. I was thinking about how do you handle it emotionally when someone who is in spiritual leadership in your life, they may not have been your spiritual leader, but but they had some sort of a role within your life or within your sphere. And when that person fell, what did that do to you emotionally, psychologically? What did that do for your hope? That kind of thing. Are you asking me like I've had that? I am asking you. I don't, remind me, but I don't think I've had anybody personally. Um, I've watched from afar, but I think we can take on second offense. Isn't that something that's easy to take on for anybody that you hear? I mean, I feel like the enemy really gets off with this a lot, that he just has people convey their story to someone else where they were hurt, mistreated, or offended. Let me me interject then. Okay. Because you said you don't have anybody, but I know that you do have people. Okay. Uh, Without saying a name. Okay. They, they took over leadership of something that we were a part of, not while we were a part of it, after we were a part of it, and they were in connection oh, with us. okay. And so, of course, we don't want to throw people under the bus mm-hmm. on here, but uh, I can tell you it hit me. He wasn't in spiritual authority over me. He wasn't in a position of leadership over me. We were connected via a former pastor. We we both worked for the same pastor. And he, he had a pretty significant fall. Mm. Yeah. And anytime it's like sexual, immoral, something happened like that, that's major. Here was my reaction. 100% denial. Mm. Even though I knew people who he had victimized, I mean, knew them personally, mm. was friends with one of their spouses. And yet, I didn't want to believe. It's it's like mm-hmm. it's like this process in grief when someone who you know or love dies. And people's instant reaction is disassociation. Mm. And so you'll hear people often say things like, "Oh, they can't be dead. I just saw them 3 days ago." Right. They didn't die three days ago. Right. So you're like, they weren't dead when you saw them. Something happened and now they're dead. So there's this disconnect and disassociation that I think also happens when somebody who you know or you've been associated with falls. And so for me, I was so hurt. I'm still hurt by it. Mm -hmm. And when I go to the community in which he led, I am grieved for that community, but... I also live in the juxtaposition that I am also grieved for him. Mm -hmm. I hurt for him. I still don't want to believe it. Mm -hmm. And so when I take myself and I put myself in that kind of a category and I say, if this is how I reacted to that, number one, it lets me see how guys or girls can fall in ministry and never have to pay the price. This dude never had to pay the price. He had people that followed him. He did. 
Mm-hmm. A pretty good contingency too. It was a small fraction. And maybe you, if you hadn't have been a pastor of your own church and you had just attended his, you were in denial. So you probably, as an attendee of his church, would have moved on with him because that was more comfortable. What's funny is that no, it's not funny. What's interesting is we we're married, obviously, yeah. and I had the exact opposite reaction when I heard. I went, "Oh yeah." And I'm like, that makes sense because I saw this and I heard this, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And, oh, he he did make this girl feel uncomfortable. He did. And, and you're like, what? And I hadn't talked to you. Isn't it funny how we, we don't bring up things that are red flags? Because like you just said, we want to disassociate. We want to disconnect from even the negative thought that he may have or that that person would do something wrong. Well, when him and I were on staff together, I had that feeling about him. Mm. We had conversations about that. I mean, this is... 20 plus years ago. Yeah, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And and you and I had had conversations about it and other people on staff and I had had conversations about it. But So at that time, I had no relationship with him. We, we weren't necessarily connected. We, we were in different departments. And I knew him. I kind of interacted with him, but not really. And, and so for me, honestly, it had no bearing on me. So I had that inclination. And some of the guys who worked for me, their wives felt uncomfortable around him. And I did tell my pastor that. And, and my pastor... I wouldn't say he swept it under the rug because I would never assert that or assume that. But he kind of just said, oh, that's just so-and-so. I think sometimes we do that. Oh, that's just, oh, they're just flirty or whatever the cause of the fall may be. Well, they're just just, uh, generous. We know another guy who fell, stole a bunch of money. We know him. Know him, know him. He was 30 miles down the road from our church. Same deal. No sense of repentance. Didn't need to. Somebody scooped him up. Mm. And I have said this many times that my earliest exposure to ministry was like my earliest exposure to college football. When I played college football, if you could perform, it didn't matter what your integrity was or if you had any. As long as you didn't make the school look bad. I had that experience in the ministry early on. I had holes in the hull of my life. Those those holes were ignored because I was a performer. And so both of these individuals are such big personalities. They're they're very well-spoken. They're very dynamic. They're attractional. And what's interesting is when him and I were on staff together, I... I kind of just looked past it and just was like, bro, I don't have anything to do with that guy. It didn't affect me. But then fast forward 20 years, him and I became friends. He, he came here. He spent time with me. I went there. I spent time with him. So now when that happens, there's this sense of deniability. Oh, not. There's no way. I was just with him. Same thing like death. And so 
it's interesting as I go down the line of people who I know who have fallen, who were not forced to rehab. They're the same people. We were just with one of those dudes like two weeks ago. It's the same slickster that he's always been to the point where I was like, bro, it's gonna happen again. There's still pride. Like when the thing about a fall is that usually you have a fall because you have pride. But the way you know someone fell and fell all the way is that they don't have pride anymore. That's so good that they fell all the way. So the rise after the fall, I mean, the whole point of this podcast is to say there is hope. We don't have to just say, go throw all these guys and gals in jail. They fell. It's to say you you can have a rise after a fall, but you have to fall all the way. Mm-hmm. And the guy you're talking about that we sat with a couple weekends ago, who's just at another church, he's just, yeah. you know, his talent has taken him places that he never should have had an opportunity if the test and the assessment to get into that job was humility, teachability, mm-hmm. and um, I said humility, right? <laughs> then, and character. If character was a, was a real... Um, required skill, then these guys wouldn't have gotten second chances. If character wasn't a required skill, and yet here we are in ministry, or we are representatives of Jesus. So whether a person's a pastor or not, there's still a responsibility for somebody to live their lives with character. And, And and yet the people who I know who have fallen, who did exactly what you said, there has been a rise. I think when a guy is recovered, I don't, have, I don't have a problem saying his name. So we have a friend, Lee McFarland. And, and Lee was a superstar in ministry. And um, he messed up. And it's not my story to tell. Maybe someday we'll bring people on. And have conversations with them. He's got a fascinating story. But he walked the line. Him and his wife. They took responsibility. They owned it. They lost their church. They lost their their only source of income. They, They had to scramble and figure out how to make it. But then they submitted themselves. Here's this guy who had... Top five biggest churches in the Assemblies of God who submitted himself to someone. He, he understood that there was a process. And, and he didn't submit himself with the promise that on the back end of that, he's going to get something else. Matter of fact, he, he's not even pastoring a church right now. He's just a phenomenal human being who Lee was amazing before his fall. He was just a great person to be around. And now, it's night and day. He's a totally different person. And so the, the challenge there, though, is that when you leave carnage, right, like some leaders do, like these first two guys that we're talking about, and they leave carnage. So we're not just talking about if you have fallen, how do you recover? What I'm thinking today is how does someone who was hit or hurt by somebody who fell, how does that how does that affect you? And so you and I, we had totally different responses to that, which is so fascinating because we've been married 25 years and we're so similar. And if 
you know, if there's listeners who are like, okay, well, then what's my part to play when I see someone fall? I would say stand back and watch how they recover. And if you're close enough to them, don't run away. You preached a message a month or so ago about when we suffer, people either run to us or run away, but the majority run away. Yeah. It's just human nature. Like, oh, you're suffering. It's almost like we know it's not a disease that's that you can catch, but emotionally and spiritually, some people get scared. Like, oh my gosh, it seems like their marriage is struggling. And how many people have we talked to who said, man, when we finally admitted our marriage was struggling, we lost a bunch of our friends. Yep. And and we had that happen when we when we were separated. We lost almost all of our friends. And and it is, it's I, I don't know if people consciously think, well, I don't want that to rub off on me or I don't want to get the junk. I just think Satan goes, let me isolate you more and more the the worse your marriage is. Let me isolate you from any good spiritual advice or Jesus people. And, and so we've seen that a lot. But I, I think that when you are close enough to someone who's suffering or a pastor, lean in. And if you can be a source, be a source. With the first guy we're talking about, you did. You didn't want to believe it about him, so you didn't call to say, you need to tell me if it's true. But you called and you listened and you talked and you listened and you talked. And I only saw you put a distance between you and him after you could tell he was not at all going to go through any process. He was actually becoming more prideful in the whole situation. So what can a listener do or someone who's who's nearby, but not the one falling. Um, If you're close enough, maybe have conversations. And maybe it's not, I'm here to confront you because no person wants to be confronted. But have conversations and see what happens. Um, And then if it's like, oh, it's it's looking bad, like maybe back off and watch. But I, I think that, you know, some people want to become the armchair quarterback and they want to go be a microphone to the world about this person is going to fall or did fall or they're, they start gossiping yeah, and they think that's going to help. And then worse than that is sometimes they use social media and they try to subtly but overtly make a statement. And none of that's going to helpful and none of that is godly. That, that None of that is Matthew, Matthew 16, um, which... I gave the wrong area or verse, but that you go to your brother. Yeah. So if you have a relationship, 18. 18, if you if you have an issue, go to your brother. If you have a concern, if you have a, a fear or if you have compassion, go to your brother. Yeah. And if you're too far away and you're like, well, okay, I'm not gonna set up a, a meeting. Totally get that. Um, you know, you work for someone or it's a pastor of a church you attend, just back off and watch. Because God is going to deal with that person. It doesn't have to be that you're um, you're throwing wood on the fire. Yeah. Wouldn't you agree? I really like what you're saying about the relationship thing, but the idea of of leaning in to a relationship. We did have a lot of people who walked out. And honestly, I think I needed that. Looking back in retrospect, I needed that. It was a wake-up call. I needed you to leave me. I was never going to leave you. But, I mean, the warning signs had been there for a long time. And yet, 
you become comfortable in your discomfort, becomes familiar. Um, it, it's like um, it's like when you get a like a corn or something on your foot. I know you're not old enough for that. But for people, sometimes they get like a corn or a callus or something on their foot, and then and then they just they just learn how to walk with it. And if they if they didn't have that callus then or that corn, then they they would have to readjust how they walked, right? And so I have a few people that God chose to walk this out with me, and those people are still with me, incidentally. But I needed the wake up call of saying, "Listen, you're not going to get bailed out on this." I I was fortunate that I was not bailed out. I I needed to walk out the process, like you said, in humility, but I had a few friends who were with me. And so for me, I wished I would have admitted it earlier. It was interesting when I went to counseling at Emerge when they said to me, you know, if you don't get rid of this or, and like really deal with it at its core, then it's gonna manifest itself in something else. And I think I talked about that in one of our other, one of our other episodes. But that's just always stuck with me in this idea that if somebody struggles with alcohol and if they get rid of the alcohol, it'll just, it'll manifest as something else if you don't, if you don't cut it off at the root. It's why a lot of people, when they stop smoking, they gain a ton of weight. And They're just replacing one bad habit with the other. It is one bad habit with the other. And I think leaders do that sometimes. They just... They go from, and I think sometimes in leadership, it's like uh, a cycle of putting out fires. And so sometimes we don't smell the smoke of our own life because there's so much smoke and everything else around us. But we know when we're not who we need to be. And so I can't remember who it was. It was, I mean, years ago, somebody released a quote. It may have been Barna who said the average pastor spends less than six minutes a day in prayer. That's like, I can't even fathom that. But I could fathom that back then. When I heard that, I was like, huh, there's a guy spending six minutes <laughs> in prayer? Because there was times when I didn't. And so if if like you're a person who's listening to this and you're someone who has fallen, man, the Bible says humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Like you have got to humble yourself. You've got to go to somebody most people, unless they're a narcissist, and you know, very few people are, are actually have the narcissistic gene. Like one percent of the population, they've done studies. Lots of people think that they're narcissists, but they're really just arrogant. And so, unless a person is a true narcissist, they know that there's something wrong. They feel it, especially if you're in the ministry. Unless you're Samson, and the Holy Spirit has left you. And you didn't recognize it. So if you're in the ministry, like, bro, find one person and confide in that person. And on the flip, if somebody confides in you, don't be a pansy about it. Like if somebody takes the courage to come to you and say, bro, like there's something and I'm, I'm struggling with that, man, hold them accountable. If somebody who was over you in leadership did something that harmed you, it's not a leadership issue. It's like you said, it's a character issue or it's an integrity issue. And so our natural proclivity is to write off everything. So people will say, well, I'm not going to church anymore. Well, that guy isn't the church. Mm-hmm. It's, it's bigger than him. So it's a difficult 
proposition for somebody to try to find a place where they really do fit spiritually. Well, and you said, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And the last part of that verse is, and he will lift you up um, or he will raise you up. Yeah. And so I couldn't, I, that actually should be the verse of our podcast, right? The rise after the fall, humble right. yourself and he'll raise you up. And I mean, a lot of us, we don't even need God to raise us up. We feel like we just need to have him help us survive. We just huh. need to have him help us get through the day and the next day. But he promises after humility comes raising up. And there's also the promise in the Bible that when you see pride, there'll be a fall. Right. <laughs> and so the the rise after the fall will only happen if humility was was the pivot point. Yeah. And and then we're so you know if you're someone who's listening and you're like Oh, I've just been going from one bad habit to the other. It's actually insecurity. Like I feel like a fraud or a fake or, or I feel like I have to keep up an image, but I'm dying inside. So I've just tried to put on the mask of pride to make it. Then, like you said, humble, humble, go to someone and then let them hold you accountable. Um, and then the flip side is if you're someone watching a leader or a pastor struggling, if you don't have the relationship, go to someone who does have a good relationship. That doesn't always work, right? Yeah. Some some pastors who really have lots of issues, they'll just get mad that that people are talking. Um, but then some pastors will go, wow, I, I really need to consider this. And we all need to eat the meat and spit out the bones. Yeah. Well, the word says, be sure your sin will find you out. Yeah. And so if, if you're under a leader who is non-responsive to that kind of thing, then just understand that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Mm-hmm. So he, God's not going to be made a fool of. Mm-hmm. So at some point, he, you run out of road. Mm-hmm. You get to the edge of a cliff, and at some point you figure, I'm either going to stop or I'm going to fall off the edge of the cliff. And unfortunately, a lot of people do fall off the edge of the cliff, and it's sad. But there's this huge portion of people who are trustworthy. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was an intern, I've, I've, told, I've said this to you a thousand times, I had this great leader, Ron McManus, he sat me down and he said, hey, where do you see yourself in five years? I said, I'll tell you where I don't see myself in five years. I don't see myself pastoring in the Assemblies of God. <laughs> he goes, why? I said, because the Assemblies of God is desperately lacking in men of integrity. I was such an arrogant kid, right? I just... You know, and I gathered that data by traveling to all these, you know, small back road towns and the pastor, he only really worked on Sunday morning. And that's a, that's a small minority. That doesn't happen a lot. I just happened, I just happened to see that. And that was the impression that was made upon me because I was new to the game. And, and I remember Pastor McManus leaning forward and saying, the assemblies of God is filled with men whose integrity you could only wish to have. <laughs> and it's interesting how things will stick with you because here's the thing that there for every guy who lacks integrity, there's a hundred who don't. And and they may not have the biggest church or they may not have the the fanciest media team, but they they are they are people of integrity. And so for us to 
look at one guy who got full of himself and fell and hurt people and took them down with them and then and then group every other leader together with that, it's unfair. It's mm. unfair to the calling. Mm. It's almost, to me, insulting to God. Yeah, well, I think we talked about it last episode that— we, we, why do we throw it all away? Because that's easy to do, right? That's like all pastors are, you know what? All pastors are not in it for the money. How many, how many pastors do we personally know that are wealthy as heck? Yeah. We know a lot of big church pastors, and I wouldn't say that I know half a dozen that I'm like, in any of those half a dozen that we know that, have a good amount of money. They Most of them have a side job, real yeah. estate. They've done something in addition. I don't know. I don't know many pastors that we've sat and looked in their eyeballs who are in this for the money. Right. Like Pastor Buntain would say, if you can do anything other than ministry, <laughs> do it. It's hard. Yeah. You get to field calls and social media posts and conversations in the lobby where people just tear you down. Sometimes they are meaning to, and sometimes they don't know their question just is hurtful, right? Yeah. And and I don't know of any pastors who are like, yep, I felt called to the ministry. I did it to make a fortune and to use and abuse people. And now they are just um, still in ministry, taking the blows and they they use they live an easy life. Yeah. So, um, you know, people typically who know a pastor well or maybe has a pastor in the family. My dad said this when I got a new car, and then I wanted to go trade it for a used car because I had a couple people say, "Wow, you got a new car." Must be nice. Yeah, that's my dream car. So I wanted to go take my SUV and trade it to something more humble and cheap and used, so that it looked and appeared more humble. And I remember talking to my dad and my dad saying, I would love for someone to follow you around for a day and then say you haven't earned having a good car. And that just comes from a dad going, I see what you do. And and so that's not to pat myself on the back. My point is, I think the pastors who got in it for the wrong reasons, majority of them have already left the ministry. And it's not, the whole point of this podcast is not to say all pastors are great. No, we're saying there are some real issues in leaders and pastors. We're just definitely not saying throw the baby out with bathwater because that would not be the majority. They just fall big and they fall publicly, you know, a lot. Well, your dad speaks from experience because your dad owned a business. And so when your dad would get a new vehicle, everyone in town, people who worked for him Mm -hmm. must be nice. I'm over here making X and you're in here buying a brand new truck. And I'm like, yeah, because he owns the place. You work for him. And so it's not just pastors. There's a lot of business people. There's a lot of politicians. There's a lot of people in lots of different, I mean, celebrities who will get something. And people, oh, I can't believe that that. But we buy their album. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it is, it's so cliche, but hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. And, and we strike out at things that, we're jealous of particularly, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a, a group of people who are suffering from this failure thing that are not in ministry, where they're they're working a business or they own a business or their business closed. 
in the middle of a pandemic. Like to me, that's a fall. This isn't yeah, yeah. just where we're going to talk about lack of integrity. Yes, lack of integrity is an issue, but so is lack of income. Mm. So is lack of traffic and lack of supply chain and people who can't get things in. I mean, I just read last week that because of supply chain issues, Amazon is opening an over-the-seas shipping company for themselves. They're not going to ship your stuff. That's <laughs> just like, but if you want something off prime, you should be glad. But yet you go to Seattle and it's amazing the people who want to throw shade at Jeff Bezos. Just like, but we use prime, <laughs> bro. Like I use everything prime. Yeah. I use prime music. I use prime TV. I, I got stuff coming on auto ship from prime stuff that I could stop at target and get, but I go, oh, I don't want to spend the five minutes. So I'm glad that he bought a shipping company, and yet there's people who are going to throw shade. So there's people who they had supply chain issues. They couldn't keep the restaurant open, and the restaurant was bomb, and yet they couldn't get chicken. And so you own a fried chicken joint, and you couldn't get chicken. So how are you going to stay open? Well, that's a fall. Mm -hmm. And so in the fall, you go through this process of grief, and I think we're not very good as a species at grieving. It's they should buy your book, Gravity of Grief. We give more of those away than we sell. We've never gotten even our money back out of it. But yeah, the you wrote a book on grief. And this there's grief in this pandemic that I just read in our city, a place that closed down after five years. And I read the article and it said people who bought a gift certificate in the last two months, they're going to refund all their gift certificates. Come on. Like grief that we just closed down a business we dreamt of doing and it went well for five years. And then for the last almost two, it's been a pandemic. We have to close. And now now they're probably having to take out loans or or borrow against their line of credit yeah. to pay people back. <sighs> and I'm sure there's going to be people that are upset. Well, I bought mine four months ago. You're not going to give me one. Yeah, there will you be know? that for I mean, sure. <laughs> like um, somebody just, just, and we'll wrap it up here, but I just had a girl reach out to me last night and she said, Sonny, I think think you should do a conference or something on how women should treat women. Wow. And just how to be kind and sensitive to others. And I just, I told her, I, I said, oh my gosh. Like, I feel like, is it something we'll ever fully wrap our minds around and be able to do? Because... Instead, you know, some, I read that article, granted, I don't have a gift card I spent money on, so maybe I wouldn't be so kind, but I'm like, wow, you're, I know you're going to, you're going to pay out of your pocket that you probably, your life savings went into this restaurant that, that died. You're going to now find a way to pay people back for a gift card. And yet there's going to be plenty of people that say, well, that cutoff date I bought the week before and wait and shake their fists at them. I don't know how you teach it other than give people grace to go ahead and rise after the fall. And if they don't walk out the process and they don't come out humble, then that's still not on you to wave your fist at them. But but like grace would be really great to be given because it's really great to be given, right? We were given grace by a few people when we were separated when we were in ministry and then out of ministry. And we'll for, we'll, we're like diehard loyal oh, to yeah. them. Ride we'll spend Christmas with those people um, because 
we, we actually, but now we know what grace looks like. That's why you're not telling this guy's name. And this is why, even though we could go to the city and we know a bunch of people that go to this guy's church, because he just went and did another one. We're not going to go and take him out to dinner and say, you should wise up. We're like, vengeance is the Lord's, not mine. Yeah. Grace. This, this idea of just popped into my head, the grace to grieve. Mm. We need the grace to grieve. Yeah. And we, and we need the grace to grieve for ourselves and we need the grace to grieve for others. And so, you know, really the response is the same though. The response to a guy like we let out talking about who caused us different emotions the response to him is as observers and as people who he's hurt. I'm so hurt by him. I need to pray for him. But then when I hear the story about these people who are refunding gift cards, my response to them is I need to pray for them. But it's a different prayer. Maybe it's the same prayer, actually, now that I, now that I re-evaluate what I'm about to say. What if we just started praying, God, give them what they have coming to them? Hmm. Hmm. Wouldn't that just fit both of those scenarios? Like, like, you know what? I think that those people who are giving gift cards back out, I pray that they got blessings coming to them. Yes. I pray that they get what they have coming to them. I pray that they get, like, like right now, I pray that they, they fall forward, mm-hmm. that they land on their feet like a cat and it's soft. And I pray that if they don't start another business, that they get great jobs, that pay them more than they were making at their business. I pray that their dreamer isn't broken. Mm -hmm. I pray that the hours that they sat at a kitchen table with a legal pad and different colored pens and tried to figure out what their business plan would be and try to figure out where they would get loans. I pray that all of that stuff doesn't fall in vain. I pray that God returns to them 30, 60, 100 fold what they give out in these gift cards. I pray that God would protect them, that he'd shield them, that he'd be their glory and the lifter of their head. I don't even know these people are believers. It doesn't matter to me. Mm-mm. I know I am. And I know the God who I pray to is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than I can wish, hope, ask, or even pray for. And so I pray that around them. And you want to know something? I pray, this is going to sound terrible. I pray the opposite over this other guy. I pray the same prayer that he gets what he has coming to him, but I pray that God would cut off the supply chain of people to his life. And sometimes you got to pray that somebody will fall out of the second story window and die so that God can bring him back to life. And so my prayer is the same for both of them. And what's interesting, and you've said this before, do we really have to pray that that baby's going to be a girl or that baby's going to be a boy? Aren't Isn't she three months pregnant? Isn't it too late? You've said that to me. <laughs> yeah, and I'm I like, know. but God knew we would pray this prayer later about the conception being, yeah. Everything you just said, absolutely. But in the end, doesn't God just love to hear our voice and our prayers? Yeah, but he he's going to do what he's going to do. And with the guy that hasn't humbled himself, and hasn't repented and hasn't apologized to the victims that are clearly there. We can see that God's already doing what God's got to do to bring him to his knees. We all, if we don't fall completely, we'll fall again. 
you know how you fall and you skin your knee, but then maybe the next time you fall and you break a toe and yeah. the next time you fall and you twist your ankle and it just keeps getting like God loves us enough to just let us hit rock bottom. Like you said, fall out of the two-story window so he can bring us back to life. And so God loves him enough that he's like, it didn't work that time. And also vengeance is the Lord's. And I have seen God handle people that did me wrong, that I didn't go after them. I didn't try to tell my side of the story. I didn't try to um, protect myself or anything. I didn't do anything in return. I didn't retaliate. And the vengeance God did, I actually felt sorry for the person who (laughs) I was the victim of. I was like, oh, God's weight. He he vindicates. And so, and same thing for the the couple that we're praying that they do good with their business. God keeps good books. He does. And so, and he sees the heart. if, If you're a victim of a fall or if you have potential for a fall, Humble yourself and pray. Mm-hmm. We, we can't let prayer become cliche. Nope. And so, well, until next time, I hope that you got something out of this. And I hope that if you are the victim of a fall, that you'll be healed. And if you are someone who's headed for a fall, that you'll seek help. Hi, friends. It's Sunny again. And I just want to say, Sean and I appreciate your faithful listening. And we hear all the time that many of you are sharing this. In fact, we've had a few people say, I tell everybody I know, specifically other pastors and leaders about this podcast. And so we may have shared in our early season two episode about the story of getting a retreat center that we're now going to call the reserve, Uh, 20 acres, multiple houses, and the ability to house pastors and leaders, their families. We're going to basically say we're hosting the hurting. We're hosting the betrayed. We're restoring the betrayer. Uh, And so now we have a campus to do that on a, a 20 acre property to do that on as well as we'll continue to bring people into Green Bay and we provide um, help in the finances for that and the housing for that at times as needed. Also, we'll continue to go to people. We've done that over the last couple of years, flown directly to couples in crisis. That's been an ongoing thing that Sean and I, Pastor Becky, Pastor Barry have done. But what I wanted to ask you is that um, because this retreat center is $1.8 million, which actually for 20 acres, a massive house, other housing, uh, it's really reasonable. We just happened to find it in a great location. And the person who's selling it to us has a ministry heart. He's on the board of the church that we interned at coming right out of Bible college. It's just crazy, the God story. But we need to get $600,000 as the down payment. Now he's going to spread that over the first year. So it's 54,000 a month. Then after that, the 1.2 million that we will finance with him, 
those payments will start and that's in the 70 some hundred dollars. So $7,000 a month plus utilities and expenses, but that's much more palpable than 54,000 a month. But for this first year, we're grateful that we didn't have to come up with 600,000 to even begin work on the property. We already own it. We're already doing construction. But what I would ask you is if you would consider, and you may say, it's me. I have, you know, $100,000 put away for our church that we are going to start construction on something. Or you may say, I have $1.8 million at the church I lead and we were breaking ground. But I feel, <laughs> this is the crazy thing. I've heard some crazy stories about pastors who after having the money or praying for the money and they get it for something God's having them do, God told them to give it away. But then God exceeded their expectation and they came back and had eightfold, ninefold. I know of a church in Texas, this just happened. Uh, they gave a million dollars they had raised to break ground on a new property. And the, someone had been at this conference with them and they had a roof that had caved in and it was a million dollars to repair it. And God told him, give the million dollars. Well, he did. And within a few weeks, they had a company come to them and offer them money for the land and to give them land they owned. And they basically were given about $8 million from their million dollars they gave away. So I just know that when Sean and I even have given $1,200, which was our first big gift when we were first married at a conference and God told us, give everything. And we had $1,201 in our bank account, which was a ton for us. It was like our savings. We gave it, we got home and we got, had a check in our mailbox for $1,250. Now we made $49 on that, but it increased our faith. We made a lot of return on our faith and that investment and knowing God will never ask us to give that he doesn't have a huge plan. So I take this time to say, you might be the one that says, we're going to give you 1.8. You'll never have to worry about money as you do this ministry. You might say, we're going to give you 600,000 for the down payment so that you don't have to stress for the first year at 54,000 a pop as you build it out. Or you might say, we're going to give monthly or we have something else in mind. Thank you for considering it. Thank you for stepping out in faith and thank you for being a faithful listener to this. We appreciate you.